A random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter, what are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Oh, my name is Jim Rugg. I am the creator of the upcoming Hulk Redesign Monster Madness series from Marvel Comics. I'm also the cartoonist behind Street Angel, Aphrodisiac, and The Plain Jane. And I'm the co-creator and co-host of YouTube's Cartoonist Kayfabe. And you are listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. Welcome to 2022, Eddie. Before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our incredible, our rampaging, our immortal, our uh, ultimate, there was an ultimate one, right? Totally awesome. Totally, ooh, and it's a great compliment too as well. Uh Totally awesome guest. We want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social medias. But first, he's Peter Melnick. And you're Eddie Wilson, the guy who came back from, uh, where was it that we said in the last episode? You were in Latveria again? Again. What is it with you? Why do you just keep going there? Like, you know every time it's going to be you imprisoned by, you know, doom. It's a hot spot. I've got a fan base now. <laughs> anyway. Well, <laughs> It's very small, but it's there. Oh, Eddie, oh, he's Eddie, back Eddie, here. Eddie. Right here. Clink. Right in. Before we get into the usual rigmarole. Yeah, rigmarole, yes. The foal of it all. The foal, the fall foliage. Before we get into that, how can people get a hold of us on them, our social medias? I'm glad you asked. Oh, thank you, Eddie. The roles have reversed this time. Am I going to get trapped in Latveria next? You can only hope. Oh, I don't. I don't. That big metal nerd. Anyway, you go on Twitter and Instagram at... The Marvelists. Facebook can go to hell. You can also find us on individual social media platforms. You have... Myself on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick. Eddie, you're on social media. Instagram at Eddie9193. And the one time Facebook doesn't go to hell is when you go to Facebook.com and look for Eddie Wilson, the guy with the sunglasses, and that would be me. That's the one that's the one time Facebook is suitable. Yeah. I'd like our page back though. I would too. Thanks, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, because you know, they thought, oh, it's long sorted state of affairs. I want I want to wrangle, you know, my fingers around that android you know zuckerberg he is a robot isn't he anyway we're robot yeah sorry robot got to continue the uh, tropes on the show but please anyway you can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms tune in radio stitcher radio Podbean, soundcloud spotify iHeartRadio. be sure also to go on youtube i've been uploading more of our archive interviews as well as episodes reviewing the movies and tv shows and whatnot you can also find us on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe, share. Five star if you're ever so inclined. And much like the broken ice cream machine at McDonald's, five stars is the only one that works. Four stars doesn't. And by the way, I did go to McDonald's recently to get a McFlurry. They told me the machine was broken, and I'm like, you're a liar. A lot. <laughs> like, there is, there is I a thought, witness. I, but I thought they were just in season, not, not year round. No, they, like right now is the limited uh, Chips Ahoy one. And I was like, I don't want that, but I want my M and M's and Oreos. Well, maybe you should get your order now for the uh, McFlurry, the the, um, the the Shamrock Shake. What pre-order? That's it. What like put like layaway payments? Down because it's no. green, and we're segueing into Hulk stuff, so why not? Yeah, that's a good point. Month of March, green, St. Patty's Day, Milas and Ladsies. Yeah, that's it. 
Please never do an Irish impression ever again. <laughs> Peter O'Melnick, would you please get on with it? Anyway, go on patreon.com slash The Marvelists. Help support the show for as little as $3 a month to as much as a Califillion. And, you know, that... To a pot of gold, even. Oh, stop that. <laughs> Eddie O. Wilson. Anyway. Thank you. I do resemble that. You little, you little shite. See, I was going to do a, a Carvel, you know, the Carvel ice cream cakes. Yes. Yeah, yeah Wednesday is Sunday, Tom. Thank you. Anyway, like I said, you can go for as $3 a month, gets early access to episodes, including this here episode. And then $5 gets you two bonus shows where you can be able to listen to us talk about a series called You Haven't Read That, where Eddie Wilson reads comics he hasn't read. In the month of December, we are joined on both of our shows with the great Tom Scholey talking about... An issue, two issues of the George Perez Fantastic Four for Fantastic Voyage, as well as in You Haven't Read That, talking about what, Eddie? Uh, same stuff. Micronauts. Only different, yes. Twelve issues, but, the first twelve issues of the Micronauts, yes. But anyway, Fantastic Voyage, check that show out. You can be able to listen to us talk about all 102 issues of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's legendary Fantastic, well... Even. I, yeah, even... I botched that opening. Of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And the world's greatest comic podcast for that. Ooh, nice. I mean, when I don't you know, trip over my own words. This is true. Also, go to belowthecollar.com slash... The Marvelists. And get the Dad Joke Immune t-shirt, because God willing, if you've God made knows. it this far... Not God willing, oh, God what? knows. Oh, only God knows get why. Get it right. Anyway, yeah, you've made it this far. You are, in fact, Dad, Dad Joke immune. immune. I love when we say the words to... You didn't say those words together. That was enough. Yeah, true. Anyway, I'm sure if he hasn't fallen asleep at this point, we are joined on the other end of the tin cannon string by one half, technically one third, of the YouTube channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. He is the man behind Street Angel. He is the man behind Aphrodisiac, as well as the upcoming Hulk Grand Design, coming out in March from the House of Ideas, Marvel Comics. We are joined with Jim Rugg. Wake hey, up, Peter. Wake up. Hey, Eddie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making it this far. You, you did wake up, right? Just for that. <laughs> <laughs> that snapped me back, back to attention. So, first off, congratulations on the project. As Hulk fans ourselves, we're, we're hyped. We're stoked. We love the grand design, but we also love our ever-hating green-hued Hulk. Well, we definitely have that in common, then. Of all Marvel's characters, there's nobody I'd rather be uh, writing and drawing than the Hulk. So... <laughs> the perfect place for us so this is what you've been working on for the last year and how hard was this to keep a secret uh it was very difficult especially whenever my co-host on cartoonist kayfabe would frequently ask me what i'm working on sometimes <laughs> while in the middle of some discussion and i was a little bit uh off my game sometimes catching me with my guard down but uh yeah we made it this far and i was eager to let the, the secret out of the bag because I'm essentially done with it, you know, so I, I've been working on it for all of last year and a little bit before that and not really able to show it to anybody or tell anybody about it. And that's tough. Anybody that, that has a project they're working on knows how hard it is not to share that with people. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad to have it out, out in the public. So you're all done. You said it took you the better part of a year. And, well, I was going to say, if there's no other character you'd rather work on, does that mean you're telling us subliminally you have some kind of, I don't know, anger management issue or <laughs> you know i was an angry little kid um <laughs> i don't know about that but um it was definitely the first like superhero comic book character you know marvel or anybody that i connected with as a kid whether it was you know through the tv show or merchandising or cartoons or whatever the case may be um that was just the first character that i saw uh you know that was like that and um 
him being angry and nobody being able to stop him, that was pretty appealing to a little six-year-old who was uh, maybe the exact opposite. So at its very minimum, then, it was a great outlet for you. Absolutely. Not to go out and flip a car over or something like that. Well, it's a good thing I didn't have those powers when I was six. I don't know if I'd have used them, but best best not to give that kind of power to a six-year-old. And you also were never green, so you didn't go on any, like, sea voyages and get seasick, correct? Very true. Okay. Just well, had to you make could sure. if you get seasick. Well, right? maybe, he, maybe he's immune to that. Could like, have had some expired milk or some you know, stale bread, whatever, moldy stuff, whatever. It's, how did we get to this point? It's possible. It's not easy being green. That's what it comes down to. Did, you like, did you like the Muppets, Jim? They were, yes, of course. Who doesn't <laughs> okay. like the Muppets? Jim, another Jim. See, there we are. So... You know, with the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel, Kayfabe is a very big part. And, you know, one half of this show is quite the mark uh, with professional wrestling. And I have to ask with this, you know, with the uh, licensing of legendary uh, hot dog skinned man Hulk Hogan, there was a whole issue of Hulk Hogan's name being, you know, copyrighted with Marvel Comics. And eventually, you know, we'd see little bits and pieces are we potentially going to see maybe a little cameo by the Hulkster in this book? I am certainly going to do my best to make that happen. Uh, we will see if the, um, the the powers above let that go or not. But there's a lot of lore between those two, and um, I have some ideas on how to showcase that. So we'll see if it happens or not. It's going to be a virtual Hulkverse, maybe. <laughs> maybe the, uh, the old yellow, the red and yellow Hulkamania logo in green and purple would look good. Okay, I'm going to be getting into Procreate tonight, because <laughs> that actually sounds really, really cool. I like that. Well, Jim, Somebody, uh, people have been making fan art for Hulk Grand Design, and I love it. Everybody who's made some, thank you, and keep it up. And uh, whenever I see it, you know, I'll share it on social media or, or sometimes just get a kick out of it. But somebody had mocked up my Hulk Grand Design covers because it's two books. They are halves of the Hulk's face, and you put them together, and there's a green half, and there's a gray half. Somebody mocked up a um, Hulk grand design with Hulk Hogan, and one side was the yellow and red Hogan, and one side was the Hollywood Hulk Hogan in black and white. Now and I got to say, that's that's probably my favorite uh, mashup. So that far. is good. I I was going to ask where does Mister America lie in all of this, but everyone knows that you know the legendary Mister America was not Hulk Hogan, but rather Doink the Clown. Like it was little known fact. Just I know. didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Okay, uh, spoiler. It's, it's obviously you know because look you know first off you've never seen Mister America. Wait, no, you have seen them together in the same place, obviously. You know, they're not the same person. Oh, okay. All right, fine. I was going to say, well, you, you said it too, as I think we suspected that Grand Design is going to be two issues like its predecessors in name, if nothing else, uh, X-Men, Fantastic Four. If And you won't tell us if you can't, Jim. Uh, any other similarities, differences that this will, what we're looking forward to? Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I did look at bo- both of those books, of course. I'm friends with Tom Scioli, who did Fantastic Four, and, and, you know, Ed I see every week for Cartoonist Kayfabe. And so I've definitely picked their brains and looked at their grand designs. And my Hulk book, I think, will sit proudly on the shelf next to theirs. Um, you know, it's a kind of a historical retelling. I looked at the original issues in some ways where this is almost like uh, if you were writing a biography and you would just comb through a lot of resources, you know, on your subject. I kind of looked at the comic books as being one of those sources um, that I could look at. And I think that's a similar approach to what you find in the other Grand Design books. So in that way, you know, I, I think they're of a, of a spirit, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a lot of ways like that. Visually, I, I think I bring some different stuff to it. And um, the Hulk's a different character and his story is different. So they, they will certainly, you know, read differently from one book to another. But I think they'll look good together on a shelf. 
I'm personally looking forward to the uh, how the Treasury Edition is going to look because I love how the trade, you know, the uh, the packaging of them looks overall. Especially, you know, I I really hope you do something neat like what Tom had with his of having the Invisible Woman being on there, but as a little glossy uh, silhouette. I am going to do my best. I'm designing that book. Um, my background is actually in print design and book design and art direction and magazines and things. And so I love doing that. And as you said, that collection will be a treasury edition size collection, which you don't get to work on treasury size books very often. So it's very exciting to me as a designer. Um, I've, I've started that, but I still have a lot to do yet. But one piece that I have in place are the end pages. And, um, you know, I look at the X-Men Grand Design books. I'm looking at them right now on a shelf nearby and the Fantastic Four and their beautiful packages. And so I open them up. I look at the end pages and I think, what do I do to make my end pages better? And uh, I don't know if mine are better or not, but they might be the best end pages I've ever done. And, you know, that's just the beginning. So I'm definitely going to uh, I expect to have a pretty good book come out of this in, in the end. It's a so, neon glowing gamma bomb burst at the end. That's what it is. <laughs> All over the cover will be neon green. Trust me. Jim, you have the uh, the spine showing of the books, correct? Yes. So the thing about uh, Ed's that bugs me so much, just as a person with OCD, as well as uh, just the design sense, how volume one has a one, but the other two. Do- <laughs> oh, my God. I saw that the other day. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh, that hurts. You know, you see it a lot. Um, It's not just Marvel that does that. I see that with image books sometimes and, uh, you know, in DC books where their trade designs, I guess they continue to evolve or maybe they don't have a standard applied from the get-go and you get those little differences. I wonder, you know, are there any uh, comic book fans that aren't obsessive about this type of thing? Well, if you look at, like, the uh, spines of the Marvel Essentials, that drives me bonkers because like it's an evolution of design styles and it's like the the original ones from like the mid 90s are so cheesy and like kind of tacky looking but they have charm i love those <laughs> it's a tough deal i i don't i can't explain the design choices of any you know anybody besides myself and sometimes i can't even explain my own um, but it is disappointing in a way you know like i i think of some some of the designers i follow guys like chip kid or something if you had a designer that was really like, I don't know, the designs are or something, I don't know what their title would be, but somebody that ultimately they were just responsible for the final decision on all the design choices that are made. Um, it'd be interesting to see what they'd come up with. You know, Marvel Comics, you think of what they publish. They're so wonderful graphically. And I don't know that they approach that in the design. I don't know if design and creative talk to each other. Um, I don't really know how it works there, but it does seemed to me as a designer that that would be a dream job, you know, considering the material that would be coming across your desk. Jim, as far as the interior part of it goes, if you're able to say, is it another, what is it, nine panel? Like either Fantastic Four or X-Men were. A lot of reading but and a lot of panels in there. And oh, I'm not no, sure Eddie Wilson this. has to read a comic book. Hey, <laughs> you watch it, buddy. <laughs> no, it is not. There's no formula involved. Um, you know, it's the Hulk. And the Hulk, uh, I don't think of the Hulk as somebody that you're going to fit into some sort of panel, you know, page grid, uh, layout, order, anything like that. It's chaos. When I first started this project, uh, before it became like Monster Madness, you know, I was playing with different titles and different ideas of what the story is. And chaos is one of the big pieces with the Hulk. And so um, I, I don't have a grid applied anywhere except for um, Adam Kubert's run, you know, late in, in the Peter David era, when Adam Kubert was drawing Hulk, he did a lot with grids. 
And so whenever I get to that era of the story, I, I go into the grid a little bit for that. But for the most part, I approached each page as almost like a Sunday news, you know, an old Sunday newspaper comic strip where it was like a it's a big oversized page. And I had an idea of trying to make each page somewhat complete on its own. Um, you know, that could be a, a, like an entire storyline, maybe from the comics. It could be some significant piece, a cover, a cameo, a first appearance, you know, whatever the significance was. I tried to build each page around that. And I looked at a lot of advertising and posters to try to think of kind of like how do you make these pages, you know, special and look good and stand on their own but fit together as a whole. And so it's, it's a lot different, I think, than what Ed and Tom did in that regard. But it was still, um, you know, it was still obviously with the book in mind. These pages definitely, I hope, flow into one another. And, and you know, there is a narrative that goes from page to page. But in the past, whenever I did Street Angel, for example, I would do two-page spreads at a time. Uh, you know, work on both pages simultaneously because that's just the way I envisioned those books and envisioned the reader's experience with those books. Whenever I got to the Hulk, because the material was so dense, you know, I want these pages to stand on their own, and I want each page to, to have some narrative weight uh, on its own. It's, it's dense storytelling, but it's not the same kind of density that, uh, you know, Ed and Tom were doing with, with maybe a more rigid page layout. Well, I think that even if they don't flow like you're saying that you hope they do, even if they smash together, this is the Hulk we're talking about, so it's <laughs> not better, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> we, we'll get this. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, and then in terms of the, the half-Hulk faces that you said these are going to be having, uh, were there other ideas? Who, you know, How did it come down to this is what we're going to go with? Are there any variants to look forward to possibly? Yeah, there are some great variants. The uh, the first book, Hulk Grand Design Monster, that's out March 16th, uh, three, Hulk 316, um, there are three variants besides the main care cover that I did, which is a close-up of the green Hulk's face and his big eye peering out. The other three are done by Ed Piscor, who does an homage to the Todd McFarlane Wolverine, you know, one of the most iconic Hulk covers. Um, and using the original first appearance of Wolverine's costume, super cool. Uh, Peach Momoko does a cover with She-Hulk, which is awesome. Peach Momoko, kind of a, a variant cover institution at this point. And Marcos Martin does one of the Hulk of Banner transforming into the Hulk. That's a really cool, nice visual. And those variants are all available. They're not incentive covers. So anybody listening, if, if one of those is your favorite artist or if you see those covers and there's one that speaks to you, you can pre-order that from your comic shop. You know, it won't cost more or anything. So uh, it's kind of cool. You know, there's four covers to choose from. I think they're all, I'm happy with all of them. And uh, for anybody listening, you can get whichever one you want, just pre-ordered at your local comic shop. Well, that's a, yeah, I was getting at the uh, the transforming one. It sounds like you would want to do more than just two phases of it, like four or so. And, and that leads me to, of course, the TV show with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, how at the end of the opening credits you had a split screen of half Hulk face, half banner face, which was inspiration for me doing a cosplay like that. And I dare say, I don't think I've seen maybe maybe one other person well, do that cosplay. The late Herb Trimpey saw your cosplay. That was at uh, East Coast Comic Con okay. 2015, I want to say, the very first year they did it. And I remember like his look on his face when he saw you. He was like, oh, my God. Like, just absolute complimenting <laughs> you know, the entire time. So, Well done. It's original thing. High, high praise from Herb Trimpey. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, speaking of Eddie, when I had heard that there were variants, I remember telling Eddie, I'm like, I'm going to buy all the variant covers. And Eddie just shakes his head like, ugh. Because, you know, variants tend to cost a little more from time to time. So I want to say, I know it's not you that might have done it, but thank you for having them be regular price. 
no incentives. Well, th- thank you, Peter, for knowing how to play this game because <laughs> buying all four variants, that's what I'd recommend too. I then do you too. don't you don't have any buyer's remorse. You know, the, <laughs> the thing that you passed up, you might regret. It might cost more later. I mean, Jim, what if one of them breaks down? <laughs> True that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you could be totally on the opposite side of the coin and say, "Well, oh, geez, they don't have a regular one. I have to get a variant. It's the same price." Well, the funniest. What's the original look like? Gosh darn it! The funniest thing is, I I tend to double dip, triple dip, and even quadruple dip, and that's the one time I don't mind doing that because there's just some cool stuff being able to experience that with the uh, variant covers. And as a matter of fact, uh, if I remember correctly, getting the uh, what do you call it, the Grand Design Treasury Editions, they don't feature the uh, some of the variants. So you got to collect them all. That's right. I'm not sure what my grand design collection will include yet. I haven't built it completely, um, but yeah, you're right. You know, there is no guarantee where those covers will uh, will show up later. So um, yeah, you know, if it's a cover you like, pick it up. And like you said, it is a uh, it's not a retailer incentive, so you should be able to uh, to find that at cost. And one thing with the uh, Treasury Edition that I'm kind of hoping something can happen with this. You do a really good job of playing with color, and you know, as evident with the uh, the regular covers of Hulk Grand Design with the two faces. What is the possibility we could maybe see, you know, an homage to that uh, legendary uh, Hulk cover from the Peter David run with the bright green cover with the uh, Diglo? Um, there's a great chance. Uh, there, there is an homage to that in the pages of yes. Hulk Grand Design mm. Madness. Um, there is. Uh, you know, that was a corner box for a while, and I have drawn all the Hulk's corner boxes. I'm not sure exactly where those will see print, but they'll be somewhere. So you would definitely see that image, um, possibly more than once, and um, kind of remixed. You know, one of the things that I've done with a lot of these images, I'm a fan of collage, and I grew up in, you know, I went to school in the 90s, and postmodernism was, was something we heard lots about. So you're going to see references to a lot of these what I call iconic Hulk moments, whether that's a cover like that Del Keown cover um, or, you know, styles, many of these Hulk artists, like one of my first memories of the Hulk was reading Marvel age and they would have the face of Captain America or the face of Wolverine. And it would show all these different artists version of one particular character. And whenever they did the Hulk, it was like mind blowing to me how different, different artists would interpret this one same character and that was a big influence on what I wanted to do with Hulk Grand Design is kind of show off some of these different artists. And so you're going to see a mix of this kind of visual approach in the book. So if there's something that's your favorite Hulk moment or image or, you know, artist, chances are there'll be some reference to that somewhere in Hulk Grand Design. And again, the release date is March 16th, I believe. Yes. Which is perfect timing, I think. It's just about to be spring, and it's right before St. Patrick's Day, so green for everyone. It's appropriate for it, Stone Cold Steve Austin. It'll be perfect, Day. especially all of us in like the uh, the snowy gray northeast. We'll be very excited to see more green in our life uh, think, come March 16th. Absolutely I, right. I think it's the best thing to receive on Stone Cold Steve Austin Day. I agree. <laughs> That's right. So now in regards to with what this book you know, is going to lead to in a lot of ways— you got to, cre- you know, recreate some of the most iconic moments and also just personal favorite moments. Like, what were some of your favorite moments that you're like, oh, I get to do this one? Yes. I have a, a page of Mr. Fix-It that is probably like my personal favorite piece in, in the entire story. And it's because that's my favorite era of Hulk, um, which is kind of weird to be doing a Hulk book about his whole history and Mr. Fix-It's what you like. Yeah. But that's what I started when I came back, when I started really reading comics, it was 
100% due to Mr. Fix-It. I would look at kind of comics on a spinner rack at a bookstore but didn't buy any, and I was seeing the Gray Hulk, and I was seeing the Gray Hulk in suit, <laughs> and eventually I had to pick up a comic and look at it to figure out, like, what is going on? And uh, I loved that era. You know, I came in then, and it, it was just a kind of a cool version of the Hulk. And so um, one of my favorite pieces in Grand, grand Design is, uh, is my Mr. Fix-It uh, splash page entrance kind of, you know, announcing that version of the Hulk. Um, so that's one that, that stands out for me. But there are a lot of good ones. There, there's one where the Hulk teams up with Sasquatch to uh, fight Wendigo in, like, the snowy somewhere Canadian northwest or something. And as a kid, that was a, an issue I really liked. I don't know how I got hold of it. You know, it would have been a back issue then, I think. But it was like monsters fighting in the woods. And I just loved it. So that issue gets a, a pretty fun page in Hulk Grand Design. Um, but like I said, you know, depending on what your favorite moments are, I, I read the entire Incredible Hulk series uh, a couple of times and really tried to figure out, you know, what are the big moments? What are the important moments in the Hulk's history? So chances are, if it's significant, it's, it's represented in there somewhere. For me, that Mr. Fix-It era, era is, I think, around 1993, and that's where I was kind of phasing out of collecting comics, and so that's where I have to pick up again and, uh, you know, really get myself up to snuff as far as that goes. Plus, I think this you could also call Economic Hulk because his clothes fit. Maybe they didn't tear as much. You wouldn't have to get new wardrobes. You know, he was all-around nice guy, maybe, or just, you know, gruff exterior. It was drawn, that era is drawn by an artist, Jeff Purvis, and I think that's like the main comics that he drew is that run of Incredible Hulk. And they're really good, and also he gets very good, like uh, maybe a year and a half or something that he's on the book. But from beginning to end, you can see him just improving in leaps and bounds, which a lot of young cartoonists do. And then I think he goes off into another industry. So like the main body of work for Jeff Purvis is this Hulk run, and it's pretty strong, and, and you know, it's kind of a... It, once again, a unique-looking Hulk. You know, so, it seems like when Del Keown comes on after him and Del Keown has his own kind of way of drawing the Hulk, um, and, and, you know, pretty much every artist that, that has a lengthy run on the Hulk, they have a slightly different take than, than the other artists. So, again, one of the things that visually I'm attracted to the Hulk for that reason, because it is kind of this interesting character, and you get to see him evolve visually as these different artists come in and make an unusual character their own. So he came into it, at this time with Mr. Fix-It, because I have in my head Todd McFarlane. Did he pick up after or before? After He follows Todd McFarlane, and okay. as a matter of fact, so does Mr. Fix-It. The, uh, the Todd McFarlane Hulk is a gray Hulk, but his storyline that McFarlane draws, it precedes the Mr. Fix-It character. Gotcha. Now, one of the things about Cartoonist Kayfabe is you guys tend to, like, change my perspective on certain things. Like, you know, certain artists I wasn't a fan of, and you guys will dissect the stuff and talk about it. And I'm not just talking about the dissection of, like, you know, the uh, autopsy of the uh, super death of Superman. But, uh, I thought you were going to Al Ewing's Hulk or something. Just One thing that, you know, I really appreciate about what you guys do is you can find ways to make somebody enjoy something they might not have done otherwise. And for myself, to be completely honest, I don't really like the uh, Purvis run of the Hulk. Find a way... Wow. So here's the thing, and I'm not talking about the Ever Love and Blue Eyes. Well, this is, this uh, is like gotcha journalism. But what? wait, you guys do an amazing job of having me do a complete 180. Sell me on the Purvis Hulk. I'm gonna have to dig out like the best Jeff Purvis Hulk issue or story. 
to do on kayfabe now and it'll be like a request for you mm-hmm. um what i would sell you on is is two pieces one the hulk is shaped different than than your typical superhero character and that shape you know it's stocky in the middle it's kind of like an old wrestler you know like now you have wrestlers who have six packs and the two percent body fat and you know they 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 look fantastic but they don't look like old wrestlers those old wrestlers had that stocky middle um you know it looked like they were they were lifting from their legs and that's what the Hulk had for most of his history until we get to Del Keown and they combine all these different Hulks. And pretty soon Hulk starts to be kind of uh, this trim little waist and broad shoulders and almost like every other superhero, maybe a little bit bigger, but basically that kind of, um, you know, perfect body. Before that, he was he was misproportioned compared to your su- typical superhero. And Jeff Purvis was one of the guys that really nailed that. So like as a kid, when I was trying to draw it, you know, I appreciated that, like, this Hulk, if, you know, they always say a good character design, you could just fill it all in with a black marker and just have a silhouette, and you'd recognize who it was. And Purvis's Hulk fit that. Even if he was wearing a suit, uh, you know, he worked, he worked as a knight, like an enforcer for a Vegas casino, so he would dress pretty well. But he could be wearing a suit and an overcoat, and you could still kind of pick out that character, that figure. And, you know, I give credit to, to Purvis for that, because... Most of the people that are drawing a superhero comic, they're really good at drawing the muscles. And, you know, you have maybe one or two body types. He was able to draw the Hulk, an unusual body type, in a wardrobe that was not spandex and still sell it uh, very consistently all around. The other thing that he did really well is that Gray Hulk and especially Mr. Fix-It, he's kind of a a nasty bad guy type. You know, he has a bad attitude. He cheats to win, (laughs) whatever it is. Like, he's nasty. And Purvis was able to capture that with his facial expressions in the design of that face where his brow is always downturned. He always has kind of the mean mug on. And uh, that's another piece that if you look at most Hulk comics, they don't have that element of just like, wow, that Hulk has a bad attitude. It's not that he wants to be left alone or he's mad that he's been attacked. That's just a guy that you really don't want to. You, you cross the street to avoid Jeff Purvis's Hulk. So what you're getting at is I should read the uh, Jeff Purvis run of the Hulk and envision it as the uh, late, great Dick the Bruiser from the AWA. You will not be disappointed with that approach. That is a wonderful idea. I'm going to do that. <laughs> so so there was a Hulk in a uh, in an overcoat, and was he wearing a hat also? Yes, he usually okay. did. At least in the corner boxes, he would appear in a hat. Okay, all right. Because part of what I was going to say, not completely in jest, was that there were differences in the Hulk's hair, hairstyle, length. Does, does this mean that the Hulk is actually just dressing up as a... Uh... Raphael from the Ninja Turtles when he wants to go out and about? I don't know. What a great crossover that would be. <laughs> the fact that's never happened is kind of one of those, like, really? It's never, like, that hasn't happened. I've never, I would love to see a Hulk Ninja Turtles crossover. Well, you and me both. Bob so, Marvel, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure who's responsible for these various rights, but uh, I'm in favor of that crossover. Now, no, really seriously, though, going back, if you know, Jim, regarding the Hulk's hair and hairstyle, hair length, et cetera, who is going into this saying, well, do we change it? Do we make it different? Never mind going really curly or whatever, but you, where, you know where I'm going? And it's okay if you say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know where you're going. He definitely you. has a lot of different hairstyles uh, in my book and, you know, reflective of what he looked like. I think some of that is just probably the artist the time period, and maybe occasionally whenever his look changes, you know, when he becomes gray, uh, he, he has kind of a, a very rough high and tight, I guess. <laughs> he has no hair on the sides and back, but mm-hmm. some on the top. 
Um, so I don't know if that's something Todd McFarlane may have put that in. Um, I, I, I'm not sure, and I don't know whether that's something that comes down from editorial, you know, up above or not. It could. Well, you know, I'm thinking too. Maybe, and it's a different. Maybe it's a different character somewhere along the line that I'm thinking had longer hair. Whether it was a Rick Jones Hulk or some other iteration that I'm not quite placing. He did have kind of longish hair. Yeah. Yeah, I would call it a mullet. The Rick Jones Hulk hair. <laughs> okay. And it, it's funny because like there's oh so many different changes in Marvel, you know at the time and it's it is very much reflective of what's going on at the time you know the higher ups and everything and i don't really know where i'm going with this rambling aha oh yes yeah, so i'm infectious a, Yikes. a wonderful band but um one of the things you know with that era it's kind of funny to see marvel really did not other than just throwing on hey this is based you know a tv shows around they really never capitalized much on the uh, tv show yeah, the TV show is a funny thing, and and I do uh, mention the TV show. You know, one of the elements of for me that that attracted me to grand design and this approach of like history of a character is not just what happens in the comics, but also what happens to the characters sort of in our real world. And a TV show is a huge example of that. And I would read like uh, I had some digital copies of actual comics, and then I had a box of actual comics, mostly from that you know, that covered that TV era time period. So I was able, in a lot of cases, to read the entire comic as it was published, see the ads, see the Stan soapboxes. And it's almost, um, there's not a lot of mention in Stan soapboxes because I was looking to possibly excerpt something from there. And there aren't too many mentions. And one of the mentions is about how Stan's kind of apologizing about how Marvel's not the producer of the Hulk show. So when you see these differences, that's the reason why. And it's funny because I wonder if they were dealing with a bunch of fan letters, right? Fans uh, usually are, are pretty vocal whenever something has changed about their characters across no. media. And so I wonder if this is the early version of that. But for whatever reason, they promote the Hulk TV show less than I would expect them to. They do put, you know, like for a couple of years, you get the Marvel's TV sensation blurbs on the Hulk covers. But like Stan Soapbox and some of those like item mentions and things, um, it's it's not mentioned very often. I think there are about three total mentions, and that's kind of surprising for a show that was on the air for years, you know, I, and, and across, I don't know, a couple of dozen issues at least. I think so. I think I remember seeing the small, big block format on the comic book cover, Marvel's TV Sensation, but also, Jim, you reminded me of how I believe in the Hulk magazine, the Marvel magazine, the colorized version after, what, issue 10 or something, uh, you did have in somewhere in the letters page you had a color picture of Ferrigno or whatever to to kind of cross promote in some little way. Yeah, there was a promotional piece in that magazine too, and it was um, like the making of the Hulk TV show kind of promo piece. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking of that, but that that was one of them. And you know, they did paperback releases around that time. I was trying to figure out a way to showcase some of like the merchandising from that time period because there are a ton of ads and like. Joe Kubert's school, the first couple of years of the Joe Kubert school, they would do a lot of the advertising for, I think it was Heroes World, would um, distribute a lot of these kind of like toys and plush figures and pillows and T-shirts and just all sorts of kind of cheap merch or maybe license that, that Marvel had a hand in. I'm not really sure the circumstances, but they would do superhero catalogs that featured a lot of this Kubert and Kubert student art. And the Hulk was heavily featured. It was like Hulk and Spider-Man were the two most featured 
Marvel characters and a lot of this merchandise. And I'm pretty sure the Hulk is the result of the TV show. You know, it was a super high profile property at that time. Yep. Um, probably one of Marvel's top two characters, I think, you know, in that late seventies time period. So you would get a lot of the figures and soap. <laughs> There's Hulk soap you could buy. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of weird uh, bits of Hulk merchandising. Toilet paper, also, I believe. <laughs> I don't really? remember seeing the toilet paper, but uh, I, I don't. Be. I don't remember seeing it, but it was a while ago, quite a few years now. That I do remember reading an article because with I do, with what I do with with radio, there was a blurb about. I think it was Lou Ferrigno selling off his some of his Hulk merch, and some from something I don't know, big ornate, whatever it was, to even Hulk toilet paper. And all I can remember doing is talking to the news guy on the radio and saying, oh, this is good. Hulk wipe. You know, there's that. Oh, geez. You know. And it's funny, by the way, you had mentioned about, you know, on the Hulk covers, Marvel's TV sensation. Didn't they have the same things listed on the Spider-Man books at the time for him? And was it really truly a sensation if it lasted one season and no one remembers it? They had high well, hopes. <laughs> you know, I mean, they they, they promoted the, the uh, Spider-Man television stuff pretty much side by side with the Hulk that first year. So, you know, maybe they put the, the TV sensation on everything and then maybe they didn't all become the TV sensation that they hoped they would. Yep. They should have. And I mean, you know, we just left the holiday season. Uh, I recently just watched the uh, Star Wars holiday special, a little bit of it, because it never can get through all the way through. But my favorite part about it is the opening where it goes, the Incredible Hulk will not be seen tonight. What do you Ooh. think would have happened if the Incredible Hulk was seen that night? What would history be like as a result of that? What timeline would that be? Uh, not this one. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny too because when it comes to the uh, the that era, the 1980s, you have so many great writers on the Hulk, and it's kind of funny because the Hulk is a little bit like Daredevil in a lot of ways. There's like a consistent creative team of quality over the years. You know, with Daredevil, you have Frank Miller and Nascenti. You have uh, uh, Ed Brubaker, Bendis, etc. The Hulk has a crap ton of really great creative teams. You know, especially with Peter David. You have Dale Keown, Gary Frank, uh, Bill Matlow, and the Matlow stuff. That was that was my long meandering way to get into Matlow. But reading that stuff again, what was that like? The Manlow stuff is where, to me, the Hulk starts to almost age up in terms of the audience. You know, like, um, I, I joke a lot about reading the first couple of decades, say, of the Hulk. And those comics are aimed at, like, probably seven, a seven-year-old, something around there. And it's a funny thing to sit down and read 200 of them. But as you get into the late 200 issues and Bill Manlow comes on, you can see him trying to figure out, like, what can we do with this character? And pushing him in these different ways and getting into uh, uh, Bruce Banner's backstory. And then a lot of what Mantlo does in those couple years when he's writing uh, leads to what Peter David will then do. And so he kind of looks at the Hulk. He looks at his backstory. He looks at the Hulk's relationship with Peter David. And it really adds another dimension to the Hulk rather than being, you know, sometimes the Hulk was treated like, like an infant or, or like a young child intellectually. And Bill Mantlo goes a lot deeper with the character and really kind of like creates like here's some stuff, you know, future creators can play with in regards to the Hulk and what informs the Hulk's character. And Peter David really, I think, builds on that. Um, you know, a lot of his run is kind of built from the stuff that Bill Mantlo introduces. 
And we also get Rocket Raccoon. That's true. You know, during the, uh, the Mike Mignola run on Hulk, whenever you talk about, you know, interesting creative teams, uh, Mignola puts in several issues of Hulk there in the early 300s. And uh, it's, it's incredible to see these different artists and at different stages in their career, you know, probably a, a pretty young Mike Mignola at that point. And it's also, you know, that's the era where we have that one legendary story, the Hulk Crossroads story. And, you know, I love with what you do with your work. I would love to see how trippy you made things with the Crossroads portion of uh, Grand Design. Well, you will get your wish. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's trippy enough for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where does this take you now, Jim? What's ahead? Um well, I still have some work to do. I'm, I'm doing my final edits to get the, the files all ready for print. I turned in book one last week. Um, I'm going through the edits for book two. Uh, Marvel's been really good on, on the feedback they've given me. It's been fairly minimal on like the creative side, but there's still edits, commas here, you know, messing up an M dash or an N dash. So uh, little stuff like that is what I'm working on now. And in the process of like going through the files one last time, um, I end up changing things. I've, I've recolored one page already in the second book. Um, I redraw panels and stuff whenever I see them. And I have my own list of things that uh, I wanted to fix. So I am just going through that process now. I think this is all due next week. So this will be my next week or two of basically finishing up the comic book. And then I'll go into start the book design. So that'll be the next big project is just putting together kind of finishing Hulk Grand Design essentially, but there's still probably, you know, a couple of months of work yet to be done on that. One thing that got me thinking just now in regards to the overall book with Easter eggs and things like that, as a uh, diehard devotee of Cartoonist Kayfabe, will we be seeing any, you know, inside, you know, Easter eggs in there? This book is full of Easter eggs. In some ways, it is nothing but Easter eggs. Um, Which Easter eggs appeal to you and what you catch will kind of depend on what you know, what you're coming from. If you're into artists, you're going to see homages. If you're, if you're into um, hopefully some funny characters popping up here and there in backgrounds, you know, there's some of that stuff. Uh, this is a love letter, you know, to comics that I love that are kind of Hulk centric. So there will be quite a few Easter eggs, um, homages and, you know, moments that I hope Hulk fans will recognize and, and enjoy seeing. And what about, you know, maybe Easter eggs alluding to uh, cartoonist kayfabe in the book? There could be some of those, too. I don't want to spoil anything. I also don't want to tip my hat too much. Mm-hmm. Is there a red one? One of my favorite Easter eggs was, uh, was, was caught by editorial and removed. <laughs> was, it, um, was it a red room? It was not a red room. No, it wasn't. But uh, it was a comics reference. And there is something that's running through my head, and I don't remember what character, what show, what movie it came from, but it's a male character, say, male character just saying, everything's so green. And that's the end of that. Yeah, I don't know if I can uh, yes and that. I'm sorry. It's not enough, I know, but it's just wake me up in the middle of the night maybe. Who knows? I was posting pictures. um, I was in Hawaii recently, and I was posting pictures of jungle and and green and different stuff and saying how green it was and how this was my perfect research place for my Hulk palette. And somebody said in a comment, it's the greenest place around except Ireland. And so uh, I I am uh, actually planning a trip to Ireland in the spring. So I will be able to kind of compare all of my greens and, and really check it out. So however green it is, I'm hoping it'll be even more green. Finally, the cartoonist Kayfabe gets to meet the Blarney Stone. Exactly. And or kiss it. 
don't not in these COVID times. No, well, please no. Well, I didn't say how. <laughs> what? I didn't say how. It could be metaphorically or That's symbolically fair. or That's whatever. Fair. And you know, it's it's funny to be able to see what you know. By the way, you guys have blown up in the last you know year, year and change in these uh, COVID times. Just congratulations on the the uh, channel. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's certainly helped me in these COVID times. And, you know, we hear from a lot of our audience a uh, similar kind of thing. But it's been nice to be able to look at comics and talk comics and, and hang out with Ed and Tom and, and you know, whoever might come on the show. Um, I, I hear our audience, and believe me, it's, it's, I'm getting a similar benefit as, as, uh, as I hear that they are getting. I mean, for myself, you know, I've, I've told Ed on the show before when he was on, but you guys, you know, helped get me back into wanting to make comics and, you know, even going as far as uh, taking online courses at the Kubert School. So, you know, the Kubert School has you guys to that. Think. Because, you know, my whole thing with comics was like, I didn't read comics when I was a little kid. I didn't start reading comics. Now it sounds little, but until I was 10 or 11 years old, I, I basically I got a paper route. I could buy whatever I wanted, you know, that I could afford at that point. And I saw a comic book and I thought like, there's an artist here and they get paid to draw this and I'm drawing in my notebooks at school wrestlers and, and, you know, movie characters and stuff that basically looked like what I saw in these comic books. And from that day on, it was always just like comics were just the inspiration for like, how do I make comics? And so when I hear that, that our show or anything I do inspires someone to make comics, that's the best compliment because so much of what got me into comics and kept me interested in comics was just, seeing work that inspired me to make my comics. And so that's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that the show has that effect. And, you know, I've, I've, I, we have heard that from other people, and it's great. It's, it's the nicest thing someone could say. And one of the things, you know, in the last uh, year, I actually found a collaborator in the form of uh, Ryan Tavares, uh, artist and creator of the uh, series Nomad. And, you know, we're trying different things. We're actually going to be a part of the uh, upcoming uh, Wizard uh, issue number two when that finally drops. <laughs> that's so wild. This is this is my proof that we are living in some kind of simulation. Just <laughs> the, the the upcoming Wizard magazine when it drops, that's great. Well, to be fair, it is an ERD. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, just again, the channel is blown up. I'm personally, I know Jim had meant or Ed had mentioned on the show about you know the possibility maybe one day you guys could do a convention, and I've said. This is the one time I will take a flight, I will book a hotel, I will go to that convention, and I will enjoy myself, because I never travel like that. So that's the end of that anecdote. Is it an anecdote? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you travel, so let's, let's leave it right there. I mean, you will enjoy well, we yourself will hold because— you to that. Maybe whenever we get that convention up and running, you'll have to do a, uh, a marvelous panel live there. Well, hell, you better enjoy yourself and spend all that money for that tr trip or whatever, you know. <laughs> Accommodations, overnight well, stay, you, meals, now, whatever. You just heard that, Eddie. Now you have to come along. Oh. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, Jim, what do you got on your plate next in terms of uh, conventions and stuff like that? I don't have any conventions currently scheduled. You know, I'll be doing some signings with the book whenever it comes out, mostly at uh, comic book shops. Um, after that, I'm not really sure, you know, it kind of like everybody else, you, you know, you're at the whims of what's going on outside of the house. And, um, it's hard to predict how that's going to shake out in terms of my convention schedule. Usually I, I do the Charlotte convention heroes con. Um, that's one of my favorite conventions. It's held in, the, in, I think in June in the summer. And, um, that's a show that I love to do. You know, I've been doing it for over 10 years and it's almost like family there between other artists and, 
and Shelton and uh, Heroes Aren't Hard to Find crew that runs that show. So if shows are open and, you know, it's, it makes sense to do them, that's probably somewhere you could find me this summer. But um, I don't have anything scheduled. You know, I, I as a cartoonist, I tend to stay in my room and draw most of the time. So that's pretty much what I've been doing the last year. And that's that's uh, what I have on my schedule going forward. Well, I think we have to find out what comic book stores you're going to do signings because that'll be the preliminary trip that Peter and or I will have to take. <laughs> well, that sounds good. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm doing Phantom, Phantom of the Attic here in Oakland uh, in Pittsburgh uh, the day of the release, March 16th. And then I will be doing a signing at New Dimension Comics, um, also a Pittsburgh chain of stores that following weekend. Um, and more details, you know, I will post them on my social media. I will mention them on Cartoonist Kayfabe. So anybody interested in those shouldn't, shouldn't be hard to find details as the dates get closer. And should we have a guest appearance, maybe hopefully by Tom Scholey also? Why not? He's local, right? That's what I heard. Yes. <laughs> and in addition to that, you know, also it's, it's Pittsburgh. It's home of the legendary Jim Shooter. Yes. Uh, hopefully one of these days our paths will cross. Would love to uh, talk to Jim Shooter on Cartoonist Kayfabe at some point. All right, so that's going to wrap this episode up for today. Jim, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. Peter, Eddie, thank you. This has been great. Really appreciate uh, you allowing me on the platform to talk about Hulk Grand Design. Thank you. Before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? They can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Jim Rug Art, all one word. They can follow our Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel. Subscribe to that on YouTube. We do daily videos. We've been doing daily videos pretty much throughout this pandemic, and that involves interviews with great artists like Dave Gibbons and Mike Mignola and Todd McFarlane. Um, it involves looking through, reading classic comics, rereading the comics of our youth, looking at Wizard Magazine page by page as we do like a 90s history, um, sometimes how-to videos, sometimes live drawing videos, but it is just comics, comics, comics. And if you're into comics, and I assume everybody listening is, uh, give us a subscribe on Cartoonist Kayfabe on YouTube, and that's probably uh, that's probably all you need to know to follow me. I, before we uh, wrap this one up, I got to ask with the uh, Wizard Magazine stuff. What is the one moment where you know you have the foresight and everything to see something? And you're just like, oh no. I'm not sure I follow your question. Is it? Is it <laughs> good, uh, I thought oh, it was no, just Wizard me. Isn't very good because that well, happened pretty early on. <laughs> like, like the context-wise, like you know, we we now have the foresight to know what's going to happen with this, and it's just like, oh no, like what? Oh, why are they doing that? No. You know what? That's a great question because, like, part of the reason that I like '90s comics history is so much happens, and one of the things that happens is the collapse of the comics industry. You know, in the mid to late '90s, and as we read Wizard. One, you can see it, it's absurd the way they're buying extra issues. And, you know, like there, there are people that are like, you can't afford not to buy a long box of each new Valiant. Comic. Oh, God. <laughs> like that's not that that advice hasn't aged well. Um, but you'll see news items and it'll be like Marvel buys. You know, they bought a couple of trading card companies for like hundred multiple hundred million dollars on trading cards. And, you know, it's 1993 or 1994. And knowing what we know, I believe it's late. I, I believe it's 1996 that Marvel declares bankruptcy. But you see these pieces, and they're sort of breadcrumbs since we know what happens. But at the time, it would have been like, oh, Marvel's just, you know, they're going to do more trading cards. That makes sense. Maybe they do a bunch of trading cards. But you kind of see these moves. And um, where we're at in Wizard now, I believe they've just bought Heroes World, which should become their distributor, uh, which a lot of people point to as being like, this is really the domino that causes the collapse of 
90s comics. And so uh, I'm not sure what issue we're up to now, but it's, it's somewhere between like Marvel's bankruptcy and them having bought Heroes World. And in a way, that becomes, looking back, one of the most interesting stories I want to track as we continue going through Wizard Magazine. Um, it's, it's wild stuff, and you just wonder, who knew what when? Mm-hmm. Because it's, there's stuff that you see happen in the news stuff, and it's barely mentioned, and you think this is possibly the biggest moment in 90s comics. And there's one sentence here, and they misspelled a guy's name. You know, it's 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 a it's a funny thing to look at it backwards like this, but uh, quite a story nonetheless. That's why, honestly, I love seeing what you guys are doing with the uh, the uh, comic book cartoonist kayfabe courtroom. And I realize now I'm kicking myself. I should have opened it with uh, the honorable uh, Jim Rugg. But <laughs> <laughs> in regards to you know just seeing all that stuff, it's it's very it's very crazy, you know. I, I kind of love it. It surprises me how much of comics is not really covered very much or not well known. You know, like a lot of these court cases, we've read Neil Gaiman's deposition regarding uh, his lawsuit with Todd McFarlane about Angela and Medieval Spawn and Miracle Man. And I mean, those are huge players, especially in 90s comics, you know, Neil Gaiman and Todd McFarlane. And, it's, and I say they're the best comics interviews I've ever read because, like, they're talking about this stuff under oath. So, Presumably, it's their version of the truth at the very least. And it's so insightful and interesting. And there are a lot of these depositions that are available that that have been published in different places, like the Comics Journal has published some of this material. And I I never had conversations about it with anyone until the last couple of weeks since we started, like, looking into them and reading some of them. And it's interesting. It's very illuminating about the history of comics about copyright, about working conditions, about numbers of books sold, like pretty interesting stuff if you're into comics history. And, um, you know, a lot of people are. We've gotten a lot of good feedback on these depositions and on some of the court cases that we've looked at. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different document whenever it comes to looking at the history of, a, of an industry like comics, but a very revealing document to look into. And they're very revealing because now we know what booby hatch means. <gasps> <laughs> yes, indeed. So once again, Jim, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you, and congratulations on our uh, ever-hating, green-hued, bouncing baby boy. Thanks, guys. March 16th, Hulk, Grand Design, Jim Rugg, thank you one more time. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Jim Rugg. And I'm Eddie Wilson, Excelsior. Oh, and Jim, give them uh, their marching orders. Read more comics. Obsessed with Marvel. Thirst in 2022 with Jim Rugg. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, guys. Question number 145. Who was the editor of Marvel's comics before Stan Lee? Bill Everett, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, or Martin Goodman? Oh, I think I... Well, guess goes first. Isn't it Goodman? Who was the editor of Marvel's comics before Stan Lee? Bill Everett, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby or Martin Goodman? Wow, that's tough. I'm going to say Joe Simon. Okay. Peter, you were saying... I feel like it's Goodman. I kind of thought that way myself. Or we could just be getting the name mixed up with somebody else. Because Simon was an editor. That's the thing. Uh, uh, Clobbering time. But he did become editor of Marvel in the 19... He became editor in the 40s, didn't he? Like... 
in between while he was uh, enlisted. Yeah, that does go back. And yeah. it was never, and Jack was never, I don't think, an editor, right? Eddie, we're going to have to either call Abraham Reisman or uh, Danny Fingeroth. Or Wait, do Tom we not Brevoort. know the answers to these questions? What's that? Do we not know the answers to these questions? We do. We're musing. <laughs> <laughs> are we men? Are we Devo? We're, we are amusing. All right, so what do you think now? Shall we say Joe Simon or oh, I'm Martin gonna, Goodman? I'm going to represent uh, Goodman. You're going to represent <laughs> Joe Simon. Let's I'm rock, gonna, paper, scissors this. Yeah, uh, rock, uh, paper, scissors. I'm going to just take the guest and go with Joe Simon. B and that is correct. Yeah, because I was in. I was mixed on that. Ah. And now you know. You had your yeah. fist up in front of me, too. Yeah, because I was doing rock for rock, paper, scissors. Dang right you will. Can you smell? Okay, fine. <laughs> Very bad imitation, but it meant It was to pretty be terrible, but I enjoyed every second but You of knew it. exactly what I was doing. That's Unfortunately. The thing. That is the whole pert, uh, point of that. Okay. We go ahead, and pert, I went too far ahead to- Pert the shampoo? Uh, yes, and that's so, green, so that's like this smell. episode. Okay. Or prel. Prel? Is that another one? Okay. 12.09, not what time it is right now, unless you're after midnight. 12.09 says, <laughs> which member of the X-Men first appeared in Days of Future Past? Oh, I know this one. Choices are, and they're all girls. Kitty Pride. Yep. Really? Yeah. Okay. Mystique, Emma Frost, or Rachel Summers? Days of Future Past, which member of the X-Men first appeared in this? Kitty Pride, Mystique, Emma Frost, or Rachel Summers? And Peter's guess is Kitty Pride. Not letting the guess go first. <sighs> Jim? Uh, I'm going to guess Rachel. Uh, Rachel Summers? Yeah, Rachel Summers is my guess. Okay. I think Kitty Pride came along maybe before, just before that storyline because she, you know, moved in. No, she was. Kind of thing into the mansion. The, she's on the cover. Right, right. Okay. Unless that's what they started. You know, that was the title of the story in that cover corresponded. So let's go with Peter's answer this time in favor, Mr. Melnick. Letter A. No. The answer is Rachel Summers. Reread it again, the que- the main part of the question. Which member of the X-Men first appeared? Oh, first the- appeared. I think you meant appears in the book. Oh, boy. Yeah. Jim, you believe in this? Oh. Are you smelling what the Melnick is cooking? <laughs> Stop no, it. I think I think this is. Uh, I think he's he's playing like the heel truth with uh, that yeah. one. Yes, you're yeah. a comic book reader. You know what a first appearance means. Thank yeah. you, thank you very much. Hashtag okay. hashtag heel. I'll bet you. Which one? Two E's or the E A? Mm, think about it. No question. <laughs> now you have no choice. Question number six one zero. Oh man, I'm thinking about it. London Beat, I've been thinking about you. Who was, there's your music reference, at least one. We get one in every show, Jim, just so you know. All right. Who was Dr. Elias Wortham, or Elias, E-L-I-A-S. Ah, the, the Elias writer of Seduction of the Innocent. Wortham. <laughs> one of Aunt May's heart doctors, one of Peter Parker's ESU professors, a supervillain called Cardiac, or a superhero called Cardiac. Cardiac was never a hero. Car- he was a villain. Cardiac was a Spider-Man character in like 1993. First appeared, I think, in the annual from 93. I, I think. I don't know why. I er- know- Eric Larson, baby. Okay. So, Dr. Elias, or Elias Wortham, one of Aunt May's heart doctors, one of Peter Parker's ESU professors, a supervillain called Cardiac, or a superhero called Cardiac? 
And yeah, he has to be the supervillain, right? You, you, you can't make a, a, a Dr. Wortham a hero in a, in a comic book, right? It's got to be the <laughs> supervillain. Because that would just be I just humdrum, that. wouldn't it? That would be like, all right, so what? It's ordinary. It's just, you know. Water under the bridge. The guy didn't uh, really mess up comics, you know, <laughs> sixty years ago. Let's uh, let's let's make him heroic. Now he's got to be a villain. That's that's my my. So you're going answer. with the villain quote, and you're saying, well, Peter said he's not a hero, but that, does that mean you're going with that same answer? Sure. Okay, sure. Let's go. Letter C, and the answer is not C. It is D, a superhero called Cardiac. Uh huh. Maybe he started off as antagonistic and wow, who turned knew, into a hero. Who knew Dr. Wortham would be the hero we all knew and loved? I yeah, who's responsible for that story? Let's get that editor on the horn. Actually, for whatever reason, the last two questions, I've somehow avoided answering the question myself. So I believe it's Danny Fingeroth because Danny was the one Danny. working on uh, uh, Spider-Man at the Danny time. Danny boy! Either uh, Danny or Tom DeFalco. Uh, Danny. Well, we need Danny back with... Um, Jim, we need them together, teaming up with Jim Salakrup, but they do as, as they tend to do at shows. They sit next to each other at their respective tables. Batting eyes at each other. I've seen it. And drawing, you know. Blanks. That's it. Doodling and, you know, and making some extra lunch money on the side. 2250. And let's see where that takes us. One page back, please. 2250 is who is Dr. Stephen Beckley? B-E-C-K-L-E-Y. Who is Dr. Stephen Beckley? Choices are James Michael's doctor in Omega the Unknown, Comet Man, creator of the Doomsday Man in The Silver Surfer, or Carol Danvers' psychiatrist in Ms. Marvel. Dr. Stephen Beckley, James Michael's doctor in Omega the Unknown, Comet Man, creator of the Doomsday Man in The Silver Surfer, or Carol Danvers, psychiatrist in Ms. Marvel. And this would be a pure guess for me. Yeah, I'm going to guess two, and I'm going to go with Carol Danvers, uh, doctor. I kind of... I like the way Snrub thinks. I'm going with that one. Had an, all right, let's just go for it. Letter D. No. <laughs> it's B, Comet Man. We're one for four. Yeah, what, this isn't going well. What no. a rousing start for 2022, ladies and gentlemen. Or the norm. Should we try for one final and really call but, it a day? And strong. Strong. <laughs> it would be less than half. But okay, let's just see what <laughs> yeah. What X Factor member was named Strong Guy? Wow, this was appropriate. Oh hey, hey. And talk about drawing that character now, right? <laughs> Small head, you know, arms that can't go anywhere like Tyrannosaurus I love, Rex. I would love to see a Rob Liefeld strong guy. <laughs> like the fact that's never happened. Like that's something I need to see in my and life. And the dew on his blonde hair, right? Huh? What kind of quaff does Strong Guy have with those goggle-type glasses? What I love about strong, the dynamic... Strong Guy is in uh, Hulk Grand Design. <gasps> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> All right, where'd that question go? There it is. 968. Who do we appreciate? Eddie. Nope. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. 968. Okay, who substituted for Steve Rogers as Captain America in Captain America 181 to 183? Savio Vega. Yeah. We may have Could had be. this. We, this is where I now say, after a very long time, we may have very well had this question before. It is Savio Vega? The 1950s Bucky, the 1950s Captain America, a boy named Roscoe or Rick Jones, who substituted for Steve Rogers as Captain America in Captain America, 181 to 183, which they're saying is in 1975. Again, the 1950s Bucky, 
the 1950s Captain America, a boy named Roscoe, or Rick Jones. I love the idea of, like, you know, the wrestler Sting's old theme song, a man called Sting, and it's a boy called Roscoe. A boy named Sue. Johnny Cash, 1969. Thank you very much. Well, I'm going to assume you guys have tailored this question to your guest appearance. <laughs> so with that in mind, Rick Jones? He said that, like, Rick Jones? Yeah. Like, like, I think so. There's a question mark you, you, at the end of that yeah, one. I don't right. feel too confident on it. I think I remember this question before because I remember just the answer, a boy named Roscoe. And I do believe that yeah. was the answer. So letter, I'm going with letter C because I'm pushing the button. It is correct. A boy named Roscoe. Ooh. Two for five. Well, we're halfway there. Wait. Whoa, oh. That's Bon Jovi. All right, we're out. Stay green.